Welcome to Head to Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Markham. This bi-weekly podcast is created to be a safe space to admit what we truly believe in our hearts. And many of us, when we take the time to truly examine ourselves, will find some sort of shame, fear, or lies hiding in there. And it is never God's will for us to stay in bondage to those. It's His truth that sets us free from them. But there's a huge difference between having biblical knowledge floating around in our heads and actually believing that it's true. Until God's truth makes its way into our hearts, nothing changes. We'll be doing a mix of solo episodes and interviews with friends who have experienced the freedom that comes when head knowledge becomes heart knowledge. We'll also have a time of prayer where you will have a chance to respond to what God is inviting you into at the end of each episode. The truth will set you free so you can walk every day in the freedom God desires for you. It's time to let go of shame, fear, and lies. Those aren't yours to carry. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Head to Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Markham. Today, I'm bringing on a guest, and this is her second time. So almost a full year ago, I interviewed Lori Krieg, and now... It's a reunion because she's back <laughs> once again. So, Lori, just in case someone did not listen to the episode a year ago, which I titled Same-Sex Attraction Meets the Gospel, How to Love, Care for, and Respond to the LGBTQ Plus Community. Very long title. But mm-hmm. just in case someone did not listen to that one first and they have no idea who you are, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do. Make sure you you include a new fun fact different than the one you used last time. (laughs) Yes. Well, so glad to be back with you guys. Uh, My name is Lori Krieg. And for the last decade, my ministry world has uh, been focused around helping. The way I tell lay people is helping the church to engage sexuality, marriage, LGBTQ conversations from an orthodox or historically biblical view So believing God's design for marriage is between a man and a woman and not seeing gender transitioning as God's ideal, rather suffering with your gender, with Jesus. Uh, So we'll get more into that, I'm sure. So helping the church to engage those spaces and not be a jerk about it. So (laughs) very nicely put, yes. (laughs) That's been the last decade. Um, and so I am married uh, to my husband of almost 15 years, Matt Krieg. We've written a book together called An Impossible Marriage. We've got three little kids, eight, six, and four years old. Um, and I enjoy speaking on these topics and writing about them and walking alongside people, discipling as God allows me to. So that's my vocation family. Um, and then two, uh, the fun fact I've shared this on our own podcast, uh, which also has a heart um, name in it, hole in my heart. But I, when I get really tired, everything looks really tiny. It's called Alice in Wonderland syndrome. And it's nothing serious. There's like no issue with it. It's just something my brain and eyes do. So when I'm tired, that's what happens. Okay. So when you're tired, you squint a lot. Yeah, I'm like trying, I just am like, I remember as a little kid being like, oh yeah, everything's tiny again. And I just thought that happened to people. And then I'm like, I need to go to bed. 
<laughs> so I kind of am squinting, but I mostly I'm like trying to find the nearest pillow. That's funny. Yeah. And Alice in Wonderland syndrome is a term that the doctor gave you. I Googled it. I, I did it myself. I self-diagnosed it. Yes. So that's maybe, so maybe funny. What else. a great name for that. It is funny, right? But it's nothing serious. It just uh-huh. is what it is. <laughs> You're like, I'm suddenly huge and everything. Yes. It's ridiculous. That's so funny. Well, Lori, what have you been set free from? Man, uh, we were chatting a little bit before recording and um, you named it and it is true. It's, it's just really being set. Ugh. See, see, now that I'm about to say it, I'm like, I'm still working on it. But being set free from self-hatred and what I believe is toxic shame. So there can be good or godly shame. We actually talk about this in our book that can lead us to repentance. So that's like where we feel the weight of our sin. Mm-hmm. But for me, toxic shame is, is lethal. That says who I am is worthless, not what I did was not worth it. Godly mm-hmm. shame leads to that. What I did was not worth it, but toxic shame leads to self-hatred. So that I would say is the biggest thing I've been set free from. Mm-hmm. And could you go briefly just into your story of how that happened? As I mentioned uh, to new listeners, I've been engaging this intense space, uh, the sexuality and church intersection for the last almost decade. And uh, that didn't just pop into my head because it sounded like fun to put my hand in a blender. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It came from, it's from my own story, which those that's like the best way God can use us is that he takes our greatest pain points and put into his hands. He transforms them into his garden of glory. So I felt attractions toward the same sex growing up in a Christian home, eighties and nineties. And I really just banished them as much as I could from my psyche and was like, that's the worst sin. You're not even allowed. That's not, it was almost so bad. It was uncategorically, like it, it couldn't even be categorized as sin because it was so horrible in my circles that I walked in. And so I just tried to detach from those desires and dated some guys. And then in college, I met a girl who felt the same way about me as I did about her. And just to be clear, I wasn't like snorting crack and then dating <laughs> girls like I was a Bible studies I really genuinely loved Jesus as much as I knew how so I was super baffled when I had this crisis of desire and theology and mm-hmm. so I didn't really know where to go with it so I did internalize it and took it to self-hatred and yet being with my girlfriend, there were some good moments that helped me to, that I felt alive and I felt free. And yet there was this war with my theology and I didn't know how to resolve it. I did not know how. And so someone came alongside me and discipled me. Technically she was my therapist, but she really understood the deeper needs beneath our desires. So if we are running to things that feel natural to us. And Jude even talks about 
following our natural instincts. We all have natural desires because of the fall. And so it felt natural to me to be with my girlfriend, but I didn't realize that there were deeper needs beneath those things that felt natural. And those needs were things like to be seen, known, loved, desired, chosen. Those are good desires. I was just taking them to the wrong place. Now, how do I know if that was the wrong place? Like, why was it wrong to go to my girlfriend? Is, is that's where the word bucks up against our fall-natural desires. So I didn't know how to resolve those, what I wanted with the word. But when she helped me to see, her name was Carolyn, that underneath this girlfriend I had was, I want to be seen and known and loved and chosen. And she's like, Lori, those are good desires. You're just taking them to the wrong place. Now the right place was not to a guy. And I was super sassy. And I was like, well, don't tell me it's Jesus. Cause I like know Jesus and I'm a super Christian. So shush. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, it is Jesus. But what Carolyn taught me was I had a lot of barriers between the deeper needs of my heart to be seen, known, loved, chosen, belong and the need meter of my soul. I had a lot of barriers. I had bitterness. And sure, I had unconfessed sin, but I had pain from the church. I had regular old childhood wounding that I needed to learn how to lament. I needed to learn how to forgive. I needed to learn how to walk with myself with grace that this, I, I, I may always struggle with attractions toward the same sex, but do I have to hate myself into holiness or can I allow the Savior to carry them with me to the cross daily? Mm. And she taught me how to do the latter, was to take those daily to the cross and not hate them into submission, but surrender them because Jesus is worth it. Mm-hmm. So that process... Um, Jonathan Edwards, I've actually never read the whole sermon, but the title of the sermon is good enough to just quote. And he talks, the title of the sermon was uh, the expulsive power of a new affection. Oh my, and that is intense. Yeah, yeah right. Jonathan Edwards, Tate, leave it to, leave it to him. Yep. Um, but the, the premise is when we discover a greater love, it has this power to expel what isn't as rich and as lasting and as powerful. And as much as there were some good aspects, I'm never going to demonize, you know, same sex relationships. Do I think they're sinful? Yes. But is, is it like Satan worship head to toe? No. Mm -hmm. So as much as there was some good aspects Do you know what's even better and greater than any of the things we run to that are not Jesus to satisfy this hole in our heart. Do you know what's better? is Jesus himself. And in, in that dying and rising with him, man, that intimacy beats every other intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so that expelled, it didn't make me straight, but it empowered me to daily die to self, which is what I'm still doing today. So now I'm married to a guy And it wasn't like I did that process with my counselor and then all of a sudden I was straight. That's not true. 
I really just put my life, my whole life into Jesus' hands. And he put back in my hands. He said, hey, Lori, not everyone like me. He said it to me. He said, the mode I want you to do the mission to make disciples is as a married woman. And so he had one guy connect to my heart, not all men, one guy. And so that's, that's how I'm able to do this marriage thing is daily death to self, to all my idols, running after Jesus and soaking in his love. And then loving Matt, my husband and kids is just fruit of receiving love from Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love the redemption that has come from your story. And I love how you just normalize it, that that is something every Christ follower has to do. We all have to die to self and die to the different idols that try to capture our heart's affection. It may not be same-sex attraction. It could be something completely different, but it's still not good. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And the more we're able to see eyeball to eyeball that way, the less divides we're going to have in this space. Mm -hmm. Yes. So speaking of divides, (laughs) (laughs) let's go. So Christians right now, a lot of them, not every one of them, mm-hmm. are having a huge problem trying to figure out what to do with these pronouns, basically, yeah. mm-hmm. and trying to figure out, should I call someone the pronouns that they want me to, even if that pronoun is not the gender that they were born with? There's a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. And when we're confused, a lot of times we're just afraid. We're afraid to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. We're afraid to not honor Jesus accidentally. Yeah. And there's this term called pronoun hospitality. Could you just define what that is? Yeah, it's practicing hospitality by using the language. The one who's telling you their pronouns, they're saying, this is how you can love me. And Mm -hmm. so like you would if someone came to your house and they're like, Hey, I need, you know, could like a glass of water and some food and, you know, Hey, it'd be awesome. I only speak Spanish. (laughs) You know, like learn some Spanish. It's speaking the language and meeting people where they're at as a form and an act of hospitality. Mm -hmm. That's my definition. Okay. And is the opposite of that? I was thinking about this, like, what is the opposite of hospitality? I guess inhospitable to be inhospitable. Is the opposite of that pronoun inhospitality? Yeah, right. I I don't know what the opposite is or what to call it. but Probably, yeah. yeah. A lot of Christians worry that if they agree to call someone by the pronouns that don't match their biological gender, that it would be the same as agreeing with their sin or they would somehow be changing themselves to become like the world but that's Mm -hmm. not exactly I mean even hearing the definition of pronoun hospitality it doesn't sound exactly like that so I would love Mm -hmm. to hear your thoughts on that is that the same thing calling someone their preferred pronouns the same thing as affirming their sin right so let's get into what the sin is so first of all I'm I'm gonna when I'm talking when we're having this conversation I'm not thinking about little kids. That's a whole other ball game. If my four, six or eight year old was like, mom, I'm a boy or a girl, like the opposite of what they are. 
I would take them to therapy and have someone help walk alongside them kindly and help them understand what's going on inside. But I would have a really hard time calling them an opposite gender this young because I think it's 90%, maybe it's 80% at this point of people who struggle with gender dysphoria, which I'll get into that in a second. 90% was the last stat I saw grow out of it by age 25. Hmm. So when we're having this conversation, I'm not thinking about little kids and I'm not necessarily thinking of kids over the age of 25. I'm thinking of maybe 16, 17, 18 year olds on up because Mm -hmm. I really think to have people transition at a young age or even use the pronoun hospitality at a young age is damaging to their psyche. So that I'm going to say that now, you know, you said, is it agreeing with the sin? Let's talk about what the sin is as we're looking at upper teenage to higher. I mentioned the words gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is real. It's a very small percentage of the population, but who knows, maybe it's higher than what the DSM and that's like what therapists use to diagnose people. I think it's like 0.004% of the population has it, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's maybe around 2% now, just with the prevalence and the questions and social media. And I'm not blaming them for causing this, but I do think social distancing of many varieties has damaged people's minds and hearts and has hurt people. It's really hurt people. So mm-hmm. small percent of people have something called gender dysphoria, which is a genuine debilitating wrestling with gender, their sense of who they are as male and female and their bodies. Mm-hmm. They look in a mirror and there's like, they're shaking. Like it just doesn't match. And that dear listeners is not a sin. That's like calling people who struggle with anxiety or intense anxiety, intense depression, intense mental health issues as a sin. It's not a sin to struggle internally. Where I wrestle, and this is gray, is where does it become sin? So let's say they're wrestling with this genuine dysphoria. Now, let's say there's people who have it diagnosable, and then there's a larger percent of people, which we see that a lot, middle schoolers, high schoolers, a lot of people identifying with the opposite sex. They're, let's say that they, they start dressing differently or exactly want to change their pronouns. Where does it become sin? That's a question, isn't it? That is because, quite a question. <laughs> <laughs> because how do you define culture, male and female clothing across the globe? How do you define what it means to act male and female across all cultures of all time? How do you even find a difference between male and female? Biblically, I I would challenge listeners outside of marriage roles. Mm -hmm. It's tricky. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying there isn't a sin line. I'm just saying, let's consider it's maybe trickier than we think. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Now you're asking specifically about pronouns to use someone's opposite pronouns. Am I agreeing with their even mental illness or their um, stepping towards sin? This is where, this is my personal wrestling with where I tend to see a more clear sin line is when people start taking hormones to transition, when people start uh, surgically changing their body. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this earlier is I think 
my friends, I have friends who wrestle with gender dysphoria. It's genuine. I think the same God who can help me with my genuine wrestling with same-sex desires and attraction, which can ebb and flow. And I've got other sin issues too. Don't worry. I work, I have lots of issues. <laughs> but is it possible that the same God who comes next to me and empowers me to daily die to self and to wrestle with him, could that same empowering God who created the heavens and the earth come alongside my friends who wrestle with gender and empower them not to take hormones and not to transition. Does the same God do that for gender, people wrestling with gender? I would say, yeah, because I've seen it. And I have friends whom I've asked that question of as I was, they were wrestling with transitioning and God has come alongside them. And he's made them really beautiful and strong. Mm -hmm. So back to pronouns. So if that's the ideal, I think for people who are transitioning, I would say that's edging towards sin because you are rejecting the body that God made. It, you're saying this isn't good. And I think in this, I would encourage people who have maybe some pushback to what I'm saying, because I cannot get into all the nuances of it, and we're already getting into a lot of them, is to read the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle, if you want to get into his thoughts on this, which are, are similar to mine, but he's going to get into more of the, the science of it. And, and the theological aspect of, do our bodies tell us who they are or not? Or can we just reject them outright? Okay. So am I agreeing with sin to use someone's preferred pronouns? <sighs> I have a lot of empathy for those of you who see it that way. I used to be more black and white here and be like, just use the pronouns. <laughs> I just more forthright. But I have empathy for people who are really wrestling. And, you know, I have a friend who's I've walked with for a lot of years and is now transitioning. And it just came to a head recently where I'm like, this is really hard. So I have more empathy. Mm -hmm. I would encourage if hospitality feels like too fluffy of a word, I would encourage us instead to have a missional mindset. So if you were to go to a foreign country and didn't speak the language and didn't know the culture and the customs, before you went to the other country to let's say you're going as a missionary, you would want to learn the language and the customs and the culture in order to earn the relational equity for your gospel message to be heard. So if pronoun hospitality feels a little bit too liberal, left-wing, whatever, which I hate that we have to assign political ideology to all of this. Mm -hmm. If it does, can you think of yourself instead as a missionary using the language of the person you're talking to in order to earn the relational equity for the gospel message to be heard? That's what I would encourage. And mm -hmm. I don't see that as sinful. I see it as missional. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I would say that what you're saying makes a lot of sense because let's say you work with someone who said, call me by these specific pronouns. If you are the only person refusing to abide by that, they may just know you as the person who doesn't like them or the person who they don't like to be around at all, you know? Right. Right. And why would they hear your gospel's message, which we're supposed to preach the gospel to all nations if you're refusing to meet them where they're at? Mm -hmm. That is a great point. Thank you for getting into the nitty gritty. I know there's even so much more. So So much more. But go ahead. I'm just impressed how you got into the nitty gritty and stayed on track with the same question. That was really (laughs) impressive. Comes from pot years of podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) So let's say there are people around you, and I respect and believe your answers so much because you do walk with people practically who are dealing with this. And sometimes we can, if we don't have someone like that in our own lives, we can just get into our heads and say, it's such a black and white answer. But then you meet someone who's going through that and you're like, oh, maybe it's not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how do you balance respecting people's decisions to transition or to wrestle with uh, same-sex attraction or just completely dive into same-sex attraction, not trying to wrestle at all? How do you balance respecting that decision while not encouraging them in it? So I'm hoping that this is a friend and this is like you said it's not just theoretical mm-hmm. so let's say you have a friend like I have a friend who was wrestling and is now transitioning uh, how do you respect them while not encouraging well how I did it with this friend is I did not go to, I, I was genuinely curious. How did you come about this decision? Can I hear your, the story? Even though this is my friend and, and some people listening, this might be your son or your daughter, like go in genuinely curious. Can you help me understand? And the world, when it comes to transitioning or finding their person, et cetera, who's of the same sex, the world is very celebratory of that. And even though I am pro-hospitality, pro-missional, pro-love people where they're at, I'm not going to celebrate people walking out of alignment with God's path of flourishing. Do you notice how I even said that, though? I wasn't like disobeying the Bible and being a bad, bad (laughs) sinner. Do you hear Mm -hmm. how I'm always redoing it? Because Mm -hmm. I think we have emphasized sin, which I'm not afraid to say sin, but we have to see God's plan for the world as the plan of path of flourishing. So if I really believe that, if I believe God's way is the way to flourish, then when I meet my friends who are saying no to that, and they're saying this other way is the path of flourishing, I'm going to bring an emotion to that conversation that's not rage but it is going to be grief. I'm going to be curious and I'm going to be sad. Not like tears dripping down my face where they have to like caretake me. But what (laughs) I'm going to say, I said to one of my friends, it was like, here's what I believe now. 
here's what's going on. I'm going to transition. And I said to them, so after about an hour of listening, I said, so it seems like we are on different paths theologically. And I could see they felt sad about that. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to be both excited or to be like, everything's fine. We can all believe our own thing. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to be clear. I was like, no, it seems like we're on different paths theologically. And then I was quiet. I didn't say, try and fix it. I didn't try and change this person's mind necessarily. I did, in my question asking, kind of poke some theological holes in like, so this leads to this, like just, just pointed it out. But that was my, I love you. We're not on the same path theologically. Now, because that was a hard sentence to say, I still like this person's posts. Mm -hmm. I don't like the ones and by like click like when they, you know, are like, I'm so glad I'm transitioning and here's this. I can't like that, mm -hmm. but I can like ones that are like, here's my dog and here's my friend and I'm feeling happy. Like, mm -hmm. and I can keep reaching out with, how are you? But I'm not going to be jumping up and down. Uh, nor am I going to try and sway them right now. I'm going to try and be a consistent presence of, I love you. And I also disagree with you. Mm -hmm. It's an art, not a science. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm also assuming and hearing that you're still in this person's life. That that conversation was not the end of your friendship right. or or something that you were like, well, here comes the line in the sand and right. I, I won't see you as often anymore or something like that. Well, I will say, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but the relationship has changed. Like we have not seen each other the same amount. Mm -hmm. And I think part of me is waiting for the euphoria of this new decision to maybe wear off. Mm -hmm. Like God does his biggest work in suffering. So if someone is like 10 out of 10, this is my best choice ever. I'm going to keep trying to be in their life because I know that the middle of the night comes. The 2 a.m. doubt comes for all of us. Mm -hmm. So I still want to be in their life, but I'm, I'm maybe waiting to see <laughs> not if this isn't going to satisfy, mm -hmm. but when this doesn't satisfy. And I'm not going to swoop in with a ha-ha, told you so, but I pray I can be in their life so that when this doesn't scratch the itch of their heart, because nothing does except Jesus, that's a fact. We never have to worry that stuff of the world is going to satisfy. It won't. So I just have to kind of wait until it doesn't satisfy and see if I still have the relational equity to walk them through just seeing Jesus is the answer mm -hmm. just like someone walked me through that mm -hmm. that's so good you don't want to lose that relational equity in the in-between time right on on that high of I think right. I've got this right and this is going to fulfill my desires right right well someone may be listening and have this certain situation I'm about to say but I recognize that not everyone's going to have this exact situation. But if there is someone who is not showing 
respect, kindness, honor towards a believer because of these beliefs about what God says is human flourishing. How can they show honor and respect when that is just not reciprocated? Oh yeah, baby. This is where, <laughs> this is where the rubber meets the road, friends. This is why we got to be reading first and second Timothy. We got to be reading Philippians, Colossians, Galatians. Like uh, when I am getting kicked when I am being the most gracious and loving and people are like, you are a Nazi to me for simply believing what you believe. You are causing LGBTQ people to kill themselves. It is your fault, right? Mm -hmm. That's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. We do not wage war like the world wages war. We are kind and gracious we are slow to get angry and abounding in love like God. We are like, look, I have to put Second Timothy on repeat because of how Paul exhorts Timothy to be strong in the faith and kind and loving. Look at Jesus. So this is where Christians get to look like Christ. We do not wage war the way the world does. We do not fight fire with fire. We are strong. We don't change, but we do not yell back. That is so good. I'm going to say so hard to do and also so good. Yes. To <laughs> yes. But this is like, this is OG stuff, guys. This is mm -hmm. what we first learned in Sunday school is love your neighbor. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Like those are, this is where we get to actually practice that because I'll mm -hmm. have people, well, they're yelling at me and I'm like, suck it up, grandma. Like this is, <laughs> this is, that's called being a Christian uh -huh. is we do not fight back. Mm -hmm. We don't now that doesn't mean, you know, I have a brother-in-law who is in DC and he is uh, lobbying for Christians to have space at the table when it comes to government things, but he's doing it winsomely and kind and not yelling, uh, which <laughs> love that's love is patient, kind. So I would say this is very, I love, that's why I was so excited when you asked the question is this is, this is where we get to look different and we get to look like Christ. Mm -hmm. I feel like no one would say this out loud, but we almost feel like sometimes, yes, of course, of course, I fully agree. But this issue is, you know, I have to get my point across. I have to make sure they know. And um, yeah. you used this term on our last episode. You said the, the term truth daggers. And I just, yeah. I loved that. It's like, yeah, the truth in an unkind way. Of mm. course, we don't want to use truth daggers with anyone. No stabbing right. here. But <laughs> how do we be uncompromisingly truthful and loving yeah. at the same time? I mean, the first thing I can say is, and I don't, I always wrestle with which one to say first, is I would say study this topic and not only from certain political stances, but get a variety of resources so that when you're engaging, you're like, you understand what gender dysphoria is that you, the most winsome people who can argue in this space 
can argue from their opponent's viewpoint and their opponent would agree with them. Like you could say, this is what, this is what I hear you believe, you believe and the opponent would be like, yep, that is what I believe. So understand the, the conversation so much that you can articulate the, your opposing side with such winsomeness and clarity and generosity that they would agree with your view of them, that you're not creating straw men, you're not demonizing. Mm-hmm. But then also understand your own side so winsomely that it's, it's as much as it's possible, to, it's irrefutable. Um, I would start again with centerforfaith.com is a good place to go. They'll point you in some good resources. Um, but there's many others. Sam Alberry. I mean, Jackie Perry, she's written on this some, but it doesn't maybe have the theological arguments that could stand up to a lot of different spaces. So anyway, there's a lot of people. So first study, and then this is where I wrestle, should this be number one or two? But the second would be pray. Take what you've studied and maybe as you're studying, pray and say, God, my heart is frustrated about this because this conversation stirs stuff within our own hearts. And maybe it's childhood stuff. Maybe it's your own, you know, homophobia. Maybe it, I don't, whatever it is, it just stirs stuff in our hearts. And I would encourage us all to take whatever that emotion is and take it to the Lord and be like, God, what's this stirring up in me? Why am I so mad? Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself very angry underneath that is often fear or sorrow. Mm-hmm. I would encourage us to lean in there as opposed to our rage. So pray and then go to the Lord and say, God, how do you want me to engage this space? And for me, how he wants me to is in real one-on-one conversations with people. He has me try and equip the church on stages, but the spirit regularly convicts me that I me who does this on the regs. I don't get to just talk about this theoretically, even though it's a part of my story, even though I have LGBT people in my life that I'm walking with regularly, even though I've studied this, the spirit, I'm just telling you how he convicts me over and over is he keeps pinpricking me and saying, Lori, the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. Don't just talk about this on a stage. You need to get in the trenches and you need to talk with people and help win them to Christ. So I'm not about to say that that's what God's telling you all to do, but truth daggers are not going to be, are often stabbed on Facebook statuses and (laughs) that's true platforms Mm -hmm. where you're not actually interacting with humans. Mm -hmm. So I would just say if the spirit's convicting me who is on platforms talking about this. I'm curious if he's also wanting to talk to more people who are willing to have ears to hear, hearts to learn, or hearts to become soft and minds to learn, to really talk with LGBT people about how Jesus is worth giving up everything for. And if you really get face to face, eyeball to eyeball, toe to toe on the same ground as LGBT people, you're not going to want to stab them with truth. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to guide them toward truth. Mm-hmm. I love that. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. And that's why anger 
is a secondary emotion that there's always right. something under it. It's never just pure anger. No, unless you're God, it's just too hard for us mm-hmm. to handle it. Right. Mm-hmm. I have two listener Q and a questions. I'm really excited to incorporate this into our episode, but I have two questions that people have asked me that they wanted to ask you. So this yeah. is just so wonderful. But <laughs> um, I'm going to give you these two situations and you can just say what you would advise sure. or encourage that person to do or what, what you would do specifically. Yep. The first one is someone who works at a daycare. And one day in daycare, you know, end of June, of course, because that's Pride Month, is a Pride Celebration Day. And these are for little kids, daycare, Mm -hmm. you know, nursery through first or second grade. So does that person show up? What do they do? Do they show up and not celebrate? How would they handle that? Yeah, so I'd be curious because this is, this is all an art and it's, I have friends who identify as LGBTQ and I can fall under that, but my, my viewing myself as LGBTQ is, is not seeing it as something to celebrate, but seeing as something God has allowed in me in order to access, well, allowed in me, A, to experience more of the strength of God in my weakness and B, allows me access into cultural spaces I wouldn't otherwise have access to. Mm-hmm. So LGBTQ is a huge umbrella that can mean affirmation of all the things, or it can mean this is how God has allowed me to be weak in order for him to be strong through me. Does that make sense? Yep. So if I was there, I'd be like, I want all these kids of writing variety of ages to know that God loves them no matter how he has allowed, not made them weak, allowed them to be weak for their good and his glory. So I just have to do a lot of reframe in my head uh, as far as, yes, I want them to be able to come out in order to be loved where they're at and to know the power of Jesus in their weakness. So I would go in order to learn how to be a safe place, not only for people to share their weakness, even though the world is not calling it weakness, so that in their weakness, I can help them maybe learn the power of God in that space of weakness. So... I would go, I would just have to do a reframe. I would be like, I'm not going to be like, yay, everyone gets to find their partner in transition. I'd be like, yeah, you're, you're free to be messy. That's how I would see it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it, but that's how I would see it Mm -hmm. is I'm going to go in order to create space to allow people to be messy. Mm -hmm. Now, what I just said is a lot of, uh, tricky gray area and if lgbtq has been darkness evil in your mind this is that's going to sound really tricky what i said 
but if we can see LGBTQ as weakness, God's, uh, God allows in us in order for him to be strong. And if we could see that space as I want this to be a free place to uh, be broken, even though they're not calling it brokenness. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Can I push a little bit more on that question? Sure. Okay. In the practicals of showing up for work on that day, would mm-hmm. you uh, help set up all these rainbow decorations? Would you, you know, resume work as normal? Would you help lead? I'm not sure what, you know, all entails mm-hmm. pride day at a daycare, but would you yeah. help um, set up and, and carry out any events during that day? See, it would depend on the event. If it's like, let's find you a girlfriend or let's read about cross-dressing. I I couldn't do stuff like that because I know that there's little kid books that are like, let's read about how you're any gender and how that's good. That Mm -hmm. I couldn't do. But if it was like, I would spend a lot of time in prayer before Mm -hmm. because what I just described is a hundred percent philosophical flip from how the world sees LGBTQ. I'm telling you, it's brokenness and weakness. (laughs) (laughs) That put in God's hands can be made strength, but that's 100% different than the world. They see it as the raw material is good. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. eh, that's flawed. So now now that's not to say heterosexuality is 100% good and gold, you know, so whatever. There's other sins, but I won't get into that. But I'd be praying before, like, God, I need your spirit to help emphasize what I believe is your view on LGBT. So I'd be praying for that air in the room. Mm -hmm. And then I would decorate, but I would, again, I would see it like the church is supposed to be, is a hospital for sinners, a hospital for the wounded and the hurting. And so I'm like, I'm decorating with with the hope that these kids are going to feel free to be honest, because that's a good thing to be mm-hmm. open about their brokenness. But that's probably where I would leave it is I would want to hear stories and hear their journey, but I would want to be listening for how and where I could speak how much Jesus loves them. And, mm-hmm. and that's tricky in a workplace, but that's, that's about all I could do. I think right. I could decorate and I would pray And I would never waver from God helping me from being like, like Daniel and Babylon, like understanding who they are in the midst of a world that sees it differently. Mm -hmm. That's a great example Mm -hmm. of Daniel. It's just a completely different world. And he's like one of, you know, not that many that agree with, with what God says. So. Yeah. And that's, that's the grit we're going to need guys. Like that's, that's what's coming. And we don't need to fortify our Christian cities. We need to fortify our hearts to be winsome in Babylon. Hmm. I'm going to quote you on that later. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The second listener Q and a question. Let's say, this person is a, an employer in the corporate world, and one of their employees is transitioning. They were a mm-hmm. male, 
Then they came back to work. They are getting surgery. They are going by a new name. They're mm-hmm. now a female, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and this employer's job is literally to help support them, whatever they need um, in HR terms and whatever they need to be changed and paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Their job is to help make this employee feel supported. How do they do that without encouraging um, this transition? Um, so this is missionary work. This is missionary work. So just see your job and your life as a missionary. So if another country was, you know, pro polygamy, which I know some people are in our own country or pro, I don't know, whatever the, the equality would be, you would have to help them. I, I just think that this is where miss, missiology and hospitality intersect is do you want an image bearer of God who is clearly wrestling, even though they're saying they're living their best life, they're in pain. Like literally they couldn't yell silently louder about how much pain they're in than Mm -hmm. to transition. So your kindness and graciousness and helping them transition, like, It's not your discomfort, like leading, you don't have to push them into discomfort because discomfort is where God is going to meet them. If you try and set it up so nicely and gently, like I just always laugh because, and not out loud, (laughs) but when you see the LGBT movement, I mean, even 10 years ago, it was, we want give us marriage. They got mm-hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. Then eight, not eight, five years ago, we need churches. They have churches. And now it's, we need all churches and every single person on the planet to essentially bow down and worship me in order for me to be okay. And that's mm-hmm. extreme, obviously, but I need everyone to agree with me that is even breathing the same air as me. Mm-hmm. And here's what I will say is that's, that never ending fire of consumptive, I need more and more and more. That is what idolatry looks like, is it never satisfies. And so for you to make everything as cushy as possible, and they're still going to be dissatisfied, is that dissatisfaction can lead people to the end of themselves and an ideal, I'm not saying that as a euphemism for suicide, I'm saying the end of their idolatry life and can help them find Jesus. When our idols stop working, we reach the end of ourselves and we say, I have everything. HR took care of me. I've transitioned. I have my new ID badge. Everyone is calling me by my name. Why am I still still dissatisfied? It's because they need Jesus. Like I sound like a a boring gong at this point. Like it's only Jesus. And so I just think it's funny that we can be as hospitable as possible and people still demand more. And I'm like, I'm giving you everything. And all that you're actually screaming at me about is that you need Jesus. So I would say, make it as cushy as possible and wait and earn the relational equity in your kindness 
to be able to have conversations about the transition and how it's going. And then you're going to start to hear God probably willing how it's still not satisfying. And that is where you have the opportunity to say how Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. Mm. Because if we try and be like, nope, you can't get your ID card. You can't, which they're not going to be legally allowed to do that. They're going to see that as the answer to their heart's cry. But if we give them everything and they're still, still dissatisfied, that's like such a great indicator for maybe you're looking in the wrong direction. Could that's it be true. Jesus? Mm-hmm. That is so true that no matter how um, easy the path is to getting said idol, once we get it, we're like, so disappointed (laughs) we expected it we expected it to literally set us up and then we'll be okay yeah exactly incredible Lori thank you so much for being the guest for a second time this was unbelievably helpful I my hope and prayer is that this really equips the church as you're doing one-on-one with people and then also when you talk to multitudes of people but I will link every resource that you said in the show notes so that people have access that they can study and learn more. And then is there any final encouragement that you just want people to walk away with before we end? Do not despair. Like if you could see my face lighting up when you're like, what if people hate you and push back? I'm like, yeah, church. Or (laughs) what if, uh, like, how do we practice hospitality? Like that last one in the HR department, I'm like, you guys give them everything and watch them still ask for more. And that's when you're like, I got nothing left. I gave you everything. And you just point Mm -hmm. to Jesus. Like this is such an opportunity to preach the gospel right now. This is not, I don't got doomsday. And I don't think even if it was doomsday tomorrow, Armageddon, whatever, end of the world, like Jesus would have hope. Like he is tarrying as it says in Peter, first Peter, so that more people come to him. Let's not batten down the hatches. Like this is the time for us to point to Jesus as our only hope. So let's know it in our lives and let's get more people on board. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being the guest, Lori. You are so welcome, Jenny. Thanks for doing what you do. It's good work. Isn't Lori the best? I loved this conversation with her. And if you haven't listened to our first episode that we recorded, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that one as well. We're going to jump into the ministry time at the end of this episode. So I encourage you to get away from all distractions, get into a quiet place, have your journal out, or write some things down. So we're going to take a moment and listen for God's voice. I have four questions for you. So each one, we're going to pause afterwards so you can listen to the Lord as you're in prayer with him. As you hear things from God, I encourage you to write them down so you don't forget whether that's on your phone or maybe in a journal. And I know that every question I ask you won't apply to your exact scenario, but I spread these questions out so that no matter who you are, at least one of these questions is going to apply to you and be worth chewing on for some time. So the first question I want to ask you is, if you are someone who struggles with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, ask the Lord to highlight what is under that. 
It could be self-hatred, identity issues, rejection, grief. You could be feeling a lot of different things around this certain struggle. But I encourage you to ask the Lord to highlight what's under that and ask him to bring it to the surface. Whether you're someone who struggles with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or not, invite the Lord to speak identity over you. What is he saying about you? What is he saying about how he created you to be? Make sure you're writing these things down, either now or later. This next question goes in a different direction. I know that these topics of the LGBTQ plus community, gender dysphoria, same-sex attraction, conversation about those things could get you super angry for whatever reason. So if it does, I encourage you to ask the Lord, why does this make me angry, God? And what is under this anger? It never is simply just anger. There's always something under it. Now ask the Lord, God, how do you want me to engage in this space? What is my role in spreading your love to those who are lost or wrestling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria? You may be thinking of a specific person in your life, or you may be thinking of a lack thereof of people in your life who struggle with those things. Just ask the Lord what his role is he wants you to play in this issue. So I encourage you to write down whatever you feel the Lord is telling you and then discern it by the word of God. Thank you so much for listening to this section and I hope it really helped you to apply this episode from your head to your heart. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Head to Heart Podcast. It's a joy to record them and a joy to have you listen. Since you're a dedicated listener and made it to the very end of the episode, I have two gifts for you. One is that I have a free resource linked in the show notes for you. It's a resource created to help you take the truth you've learned either in this episode or in a previous one and apply it to your life. The second gift I have for you is access to my seasonal playlists. Every season, summer, fall, winter, spring, I create a regular playlist and a worship playlist that will be ongoing throughout the season. And you'll be able to follow it on Spotify if you need some good boogie tunes. Because let's be honest, in another life, I would have been a DJ. So you now have full access to meet all your seasonal music needs in the show notes. As always, I love hearing from you. So follow me on Instagram and send me a DM of how this episode impacted you. The handle is head to heart underscore podcast. And if you would be so kind, leave a five-star rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the website. By doing this, you'll help me get more amazing guests on the show in the future. I'll be releasing new episodes to you every other Friday, so stay tuned and thanks for joining us.